Welcome to the Voice of the People's Unity, the official podcast of the Movement of the People's Unity. I am Jack, here with my co-host, Koba. Joining us today is Marcos, Jameson, and Mary. Today's topics are the ongoing situation in Venezuela, then imperialism in general, followed by a short talk on alienation by Mary. Starting us off on Venezuela shall be Comrade Jameson, although we'd like to preface this topic by saying that while Venezuela is in no meaning of the word socialist, with over 80% of their economy being the private sector, we support their right to self-determination in the face of U.S. imperialism. Comrade Jameson, take it away. Venezuela. To understand the current conflict in Venezuela, one must understand the history of Venezuela. There's a phrase used by Venezuelans to describe their past, 400 years of shame. This describes a time from when the Venezuelan people were enslaved by the Spanish conquistadors in the 1600s to the time that the Bolivarians won the office in 1999. Among these 400 years was the period of neoliberalism. Due to the abject poverty of this era, the Venezuelan people demanded change, and the Bolivarians offered this and were paraded into office. But the peace was short-lived, and in 2002, the opposition party attempted a coup d'etat to return the neoliberal order into power. This coup was covertly backed by the U.S. The coup thankfully failed after the opposition was chased out of office in just 47 hours. But the coup solidified the partisan lines of today. The primary political conflict of today is between the National and Constituent Assembly. The purpose of the Constituent Assembly is twofold, to draft a new constitution and to pass necessary crisis policy. Many claim that this is a dictatorial power grab by Maduro and the Bolivarians, specifically in American media. However, this isn't true. The Constituent Assembly is completely constitutional by the 1999 Constitution. In fact, the 1999 Constitution was drafted within a constituent assembly. Why then was it called? As I said, it's largely because of uh, the need to pass crisis policy. The National Assembly, dominated by the opposition, has been horribly inactive within the crisis in Venezuela. So the Bolivarians and the government and Maduro decided to call the constituent assembly not only to ease power in addressing the crisis, but to pass crisis policy. Others claim that the Constituent Assembly was stacked by Maduro. This likewise is false. The oppositions completely boycotted the Constituent Assembly election, and as a result, every seat in the Constituent Assembly is held by the government-aligned Great Patriotic Role Party. There's also the matter of media saying that the Bolivarians have unjustly barred opposition politicians and parties from the presidential election. There have been a handful of opposition politicians who, in relation and participation to illegal activities, have been jailed and thus cannot enter into the presidential election. And there have also been certain parties which were barred from the 2017 presidential election. However, those parties barred had already announced their plans to boycott the election, and they were barred because they continually boycott elections. Due to this constant boycotting on their behalf, the Constituent Assembly deemed them legally illegitimate parties. With a clause, though, 
if they were to reapply, these parties could run in the election once more. However, they did not. This is just the mention of the political conflict and combat occurring in Venezuelan currently, um, without any mention of the, the economic conflict within Venezuela. And there has undoubtedly been an economic war within Venezuela for the last decade. Private enterprises more and more moved to sabotage the Venezuelan economy. For example, we've seen massive private food distributors hoard products in company warehouses to create artificial store shortages. We see a continuous currency devaluation operation on the Colombian border, where economic bandits smuggle the Bolivar into Colombia to artificially inflate it. And for what has this economic war been waged? It is for the purpose of keeping unaccountable private forces in power of Venezuela. It is for the purpose of keeping profit as the sole concern of the Venezuelan government and return to the neoliberal era. And it is for the purpose of throwing dirt into the eyes of all Venezuelans who have fought for progress. And this economic banditry, what is essentially a 21st century Kulak uprising, should be condemned by any person who strives for peace and liberty across the world. What also the American liberal media, backing Guaido and the opposition, don't tell you is that these forces would rather see their fellow Venezuelans suffer than concede private industry to the control of the masses. They wouldn't tell you either that the Bolivarians are and have been the leading force for women, LGBT, and indigenous rights in Venezuelan politics, nor would they tell you that the opposition is notorious for carrying out racial hate crimes against minorities. Nor would they tell you that a hundred opposition members cornered a single black Venezuelan and proceeded to stab and lynch and light the man afire. Later, they mocked him on his deathbed, saying, that's what you get for being a chavista, blackie. The Venezuelan opposition are clearly not for the liberty or democracy of Venezuela. They're for maintaining the bigoted, privately dominated status quo in the country. We must stand with the Bolivarians and Venezuela in their protection against domestic terrorism. Picking up is our comrade Koba, speaking specifically on the current coup situation. So this uh, current ongoing coup in Venezuela has the hallmarks of many of the U.S.-backed coups that have been orchestrated over the past hundred years. There, because the U.S. has had a massive history of regime change in countries all across the globe. In fact, the man who is leading the Venezuelan inquiry, Elliot Abrams has helped lead various coup attempts before, including the previous coup attempt against Hugo Chavez, as well as he was involved with the Contra affair in Nicaragua. He's often disregarded international law, and his, his coups have led to the slaughter of tens or hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. Trump himself has publicly spoken of military intervention in Venezuela. A recent study conducted by the German Parliament Independent Scientific Research Service found that the uh, international rec recognition of the self-proclaimed interim president, Juan Guaido, likely constitutes another violation of international law. This coup violates international laws that have been set in place by the UN and ones going, you know, international conventions going back further before the creation of the UN. It is a violation of Venezuela's sovereignty as a nation. Now, Juan Guaido himself was only voted into parliamentary office with 26% of the vote. 26%.
From perspective, that means 74% of his constituents did not vote for him in the parliamentary election. In comparison, Maduro was voted in with 57% and 67% of the vote for both presidential elections. Juan Guaido is illegitimate in every way. The popular video of, quote, Venezuelan soldiers pledging their support for Guaido and U.S. intervention was ousted as a fake. The soldiers were not even wearing the correct military uniforms of Venezuela for the time. Much like Iraq and Syria, a large motive of the U.S. interest in subjugating Venezuela is oil. Venezuela is one of the largest oil fields in the world, and certainly one of the largest in North and South America. Interestingly enough, the Venezuelan opposition has recently unilaterally declared that they are going to seize political control of the Venezuelan oil industry. Now, Canada recently held a conference of leaders who have officially recognized the illegitimate hostile takeover of the country of Venezuela by the U.S. Um, and to further gain popular support for this illegitimate coup against the people of Venezuela, the U.S. and Canada have sent millions of dollars worth of quote-unquote humanitarian aid to the border, which have been revealed as containing rotten food and other uh, contraband that they're planning to smuggle across the border. It is very likely, although it has not been proven, but is very likely that these convoys of humanitarian aid will also contain weapons and material for the opposition forces. If this is to uh, erupt into civil conflict in Venezuela, likely will. Now, this is exactly like coups that have taken place in Iraq, Chile, Nicaragua, Panama, and Syria. It's always about trying to provoke a response from the nation. That's what they're trying to do. That's what we're going to see within the next few months or maybe within the next year. We are going to see the U.S. keep pushing Venezuela until they are provoked in an attack. So it'll look like the U.S. is going in and reestablishing order in Venezuela when really they are going to cause chaos and this is going to have deadly backlash on thousands and hundreds of thousands of civilians. With our critical support of Venezuela, most of our media that I've seen recently as Marxists, leftists, whatever you want to call us, about Venezuela comes from Russia Today or Telesur. While these are good sources per se, they're not necessarily perfect, right? They're not bad, but they're sponsored by the governments that we're talking about. We as Marxists have to be completely analytical regarding where our support lies. We can't only use Russia Today, Telesur, Al Jazeera, these things, um, which is what I've seen a lot recently because of the fact that, oh, CNN, BBC, etc. are all bourgeois sources. We have to remember that Russia and Venezuela are still technically run by the capitalist hegemony. Although they are anti-imperialistic, we can't deny their, their uh, capitalistic nature. We need to see all the news provided to us, CNN, BBC, Fox, uh, Fox, Vox, RT, Telesur, all of those, and formulate um, sort of an analytical opinion based on the common denominator from all of those. We can't trust one side. We can't trust another. We need to be analytical about this. Mm -hmm, of course, and that's very important. That's why I've looked at many different sources, and I've got – uh, I do have sources from The Independent, The Guardian. I've got stuff from Press TV, from uh, The Real News Network, all kinds of different perspectives on the same issue. I've looked at other ones as well, even stuff by the BBC and such that, you know, all even though they, some of them may be um, manipulating the facts, they are different perspectives on the same issue. And from that, we can form 
a critical view of the situation, which is something that we should do not just with Venezuela, but with any topic that is covered because there is no such thing as an unbiased news source. You're not going to find a perfect source out there that's going to tell you all the facts. So you need to gather the facts from various opinions. And that's why it's very important that you do not become lazy and simply reply, rely sorry, upon one or two specific perspectives. And Koba, you mentioned that we will uh, link many of these sources you've used and that we've all used in the description here. Yeah. Uh, yes, they will be. It's important to remember as Marxists that uh, imperialism isn't just the actions of one nation. It's a very natural phenomenon that occurs within capitalism and is inherent to the capitalist system. Venezuela is an excellent example of this. As the Bolivarian Revolution, while not Marxist, does cut into the profits of the capitalist class, which is why it's being met with such uh, harsh reactions from both internal capitalists as well as international capitalism. Mm -hmm. And if you look at uh, how it has affected the American capitalists, uh, America used to pretty much own Venezuela. It, the leaders were in the pockets of the U.S. government the U.S. politicians, and the U.S. businessmen. And as I said before, Venezuela has one of the world's largest oil deposits. There are these oil deposits that have been so lucrative for the U.S. companies, and they have been able to exploit the uh, what was previously no labor laws and no laws to regulate how much um, well, how much of the country's economy could be ruled by foreign interests uh, by able by being able to exploit this, they had made billions of dollars for the U.S. and uh, for their companies and for the bourgeois class, as well as the ruling class of uh, Venezuela at the time was also getting their pockets lined by these lucrative business ventures at the cost of the Venezuelan civilians who were living in abject poverty. Of course, we must mention that imperialism is natural to capitalism. It is a structural part of capitalism. Uh, this phenomenon of imperialism is capital's expansion. Capital must expand. It must continually expand as far as possible. And in this attempt to expand, to build more markets, to find cheaper labor and such, to exploit more and more workers, uh, we see that capitalism today has become a cancer, and imperialism is the method of its travel. We must attack this contagion together, and in that we must understand that this isn't simply uh, a matter of nations against nations. This is capital against people, against workers globally. Exactly, and I wouldn't even call capitalism uh, an illness or uh, a cancer or even a um, like a virus. I would call it a parasite because that is what it does. It feeds off of the working class, it feeds off of the surplus labor, and it destroys the working class. It destroys the um, the resources and the people needed to generate capital because it is greedy. There is no managing capital in an ethical way because of the falling rate of profit, you always need to be exploiting more and more. You need to lower your workers' wages. You need to be um, buying your supply for cheaper and selling your product for higher. I would like to interject that I think the cancer 
uh, equivalency is quite relevant as uh, like cancer being an uncontrolled growth of cells that would otherwise be harmless to the human body. Capitalism did did once serve a purpose in industrializing the world. As Marx said, it was a necessary step in human development. However, it has outgrown its usefulness to human development. And its constant expansion now does threaten us on an existential level. One of the, I guess, symptoms of capitalism would be social alienation. Um, we see this, I guess, in the way that Marx said it himself, that social alienation is a root cause of capitalism. Just like Lenin said, um, imperialism was another part of capitalism. They are both symptoms of the same disease. And I believe Comrade Mary is going to talk about um, social alienation next. This social alienation I have experienced throughout my entire life. This alienation is seen throughout the world under capitalism. The culture of alienation is a part of the superstructure which reinforces the base. The base reinforces the superstructure. The base is capitalism. The culture of alienation is a deep and complex issue that needs to be tackled too, as we do with capitalism. A statement used by people who are not aware that there is a culture of alienation is, quote, that is not affecting me, so it doesn't matter, end quote. This is only a small section of alienation caused by capitalism, which is a tactic used by the ruling class to divide the working classes up with infights and distractions from the actual people who enforce this bigotry. As a matter of fact, there is a law in Japan which forced sterilization on transgender people if they want to get their sex changed on their documents to their preferred gender. This law was really put up for question but then never voided due to the culture of bigotry. This bigotry is used to divide the working class so that they are easier to rule for the ruling class. This bigotry is a culture of social alienation. Social alienation isn't some undefined boogeyman or something like that. It has genuine conflicts. Social alienation is a major issue, and it's a way in which the capitalist and the ruling class controls people. It's been like that throughout the ages, even before capitalism was around, it was the way the ruling class controlled people by discrimination. Like, for example, in the religious organizations of the past, and even in ones that exist today, people who are considered to be free thinkers or are outside the norm are demonized. And it's had terrible consequences, whether it's the demonization of people who were called witches or whatnot by the Christians in Salem and such, the Salem witch trials, or even in the modern day, churches discriminating against LGBT people has had a very awful effect. For example, in Utah, where the Mormon church is pretty much government there, uh, they have the highest rate of LGBT teenage suicide because kids are growing up being brought up within the Mormon church and they're being told that um, that homosexuality and stuff is all, it's awful, it's demonic, when they find out that they are homosexual or such, or if they're um, transgender or pansexual or whatever, and they, you know, they can't reckon that with their religion, it drives many of them to suicide. It's a really major issue in Utah, and it's an issue all around the world, but that's just a specific way in which the church uses bigotry to control people, and it has awful consequences. Now, this is also used, as I said before, by the capitalist class, 
and it's been used in the past. In the, the U.S., racism was institutionalized. They had laws preventing black people and white people from mixing, whether it's in society or even in work environments and stuff. They were kept segregated. In schools, they were kept segregated. And it wasn't until the civil rights movement that this was overturned. And it's important to realize that social alienation isn't just about bigotry. Uh, another common factor caused by social alienation is simply loneliness, that people can't feel their community. They can't find acceptance with anyone around them. And we see today in the most advanced capitalist countries, the most uh, commercially based and consumerist economies, that social alienation is at its peak. We see, specifically in Korea and in Japan, we see massive um, rates of suicide, unlike any in the world, among the youth. And this is due to social alienation, quite literally alienation from the community and chronic loneliness. And this is caused by the lack of warmth and care um, within a cutthroat capitalist economy. Mm -hmm. And exactly, it's the capitalist system alienating people, whether it is through bigotry or simply excluding them. For example, if you look at New York City and in the poorer communities in the Bronx and such, where um, poverty is pretty common, it's very rife in New York City as well as many other cities, even in Detroit now, which used to be a great um, haven of industry, has now collapsed into abject poverty just about. And you see the dropout rate for high school is extremely high. That's because people are saying it's like if life is so shitty and there's no way out of the poverty that I was born into, why should I try? Why should I you know, try and be a productive member of society, which is what capitalism causes. It's alienated them. They have no place in the capitalist system other than being a blind worker, someone who is exploited for their labor and the value, their value, um, that they can generate and nothing more. They are nothing more than a cog in the system of capitalism. This has been the Voice of the People's Unity, the official podcast of the Movement of the People's Unity. For more information, you may follow the link below to our websites. All sources for the topics covered today are also in the description. If you have uh, more questions related to Marxist-Leninism, uh, we have a host of associated YouTube channels as well as our own videos. For more information on the MPU in specific, go to our website and you can learn about our doctrine, as well as follow the link to our Discord. Uh, thank you all for listening.